That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and my brand new book, Gut Feelings, is for pre-order right now. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, becoming a patient, the books, there's lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we're giving away free signed books. All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcast and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. And every month, no matter when you listen to this episode, my team will be randomly picking winners with me and I'll reach out to you and I'll ask which book you want. I'll sign it and we'll send it out to you. So all you have to do for the chance to win is leave the Apple Podcast review. You can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can screenshot your Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole with the screenshot of your Apple Podcast review. And every month we'll be going through the messages on Instagram as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves. And I'll reach out to you. All right, let's get to today's guest. He is a dear friend of mine. His name is Joey Thurman. He is a health, fitness, nutrition expert. He's a television contributor. He's the author of few books and his brand new one. I actually wrote the forward to. It's called The Minimum Method, The Least You Can Do to Be a Stronger, Healthier, Happier You. Joey was named the best trainer in Chicago by the Chicago Sun-Times and newbeauty.com's top three favorite celebrity trainers. He has appeared on Good Morning America, Live with Kelly and Ryan, The Today Show, Harry Connick Jr., All Access, TEDx, CBS, Fox, ABC, all the places. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. Joey's work has been featured in publications such as Men's Health, Women's Health, Pop Sugar, U.S. News and World Report, NPR, People Shape, New York Post, Fitness Magazine, Livestrong.com, bodybuilding.com, daily burn. I mean, the guy is everywhere, and we're going to learn so much from him. Let's get right to it. 
This is Joey Thurman's Art of Being Well. Joey freaking Thurman. You're on the podcast, man. I'm so excited to this day has finally arrived. It, it's here, man. I'm just excited I actually get to see your face. I mean, social media and stuff, it's fine. But like talking to you live, it, it's a true honor. And man, you are the man, the myth, the legend. So thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. I feel the same way about you. And, and I... You're in the midst of book promo craziness. And you know, you, we we love what we do in wellness. And then putting this message in book form is a whole different beast in the best of ways. But how's it going? How's the book promo time going for you? Yeah. And there's very few people I think that can really relate to this process, much like you. Like there's the anxiety, right? So anxiety lives in the future. So you're always just kind of worried about what's happening and depression kind of lives in the past and we forget about the present. So I'm trying to enjoy the present Mm -hmm. right now. Like doing this podcast with you is, is very humbling and I'm truly excited about it. And so I've been looking forward to that and just focusing on right now. But yeah, with the TV and the podcast and the radio and everything else that you have to do with a major publisher. I mean, there's, it, it is a ton. I mean, my first book was self-published. This is the first one that I went with Ben Bella, which is a imprint of Penguin Random House. So it's a beast, as you said, but I'm enjoying the process and just making sure that I kind of regulate circadian rhythm, go to sleep consistently and regulate my stress as much as possible. So it, it's, it's been fun, but exhausting. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I hear you. But yeah, this is a safe space. You can sigh a big breath in and out. <laughs> uh, you are here and we're going to talk about this book and so much more. People are going to learn about how to, what you call, how to do the minimum method, which I That's think right. is fascinating. And I, w- I want people to learn about it. But in the book, you talk about how we should do this one thing, this crucial first step when it comes to our wellness, which I completely agree with you. I see this with patients all the time. What's this first step that we have to get right first? Yeah. I mean, I think the main thing is I've got multiple chapters in here. And I mean, one, like we need recognition and, and thinking about where you're at. And then also like as far as an action, do the laziest thing you can do is just regulate your sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the biggest chapter in here. And I wrote it the largest on purpose because as you know, hormone function, insulin response, everything is regulated by that circadian rhythm. So acknowledging one, you know, looking at your, I say like a life cycle, just kind of look at your day and see what happens and writing everything down. Like I wake up at this time, I go to sleep at this time, I feel this way, right? And getting that and regulating this, uh, your sleep and getting six to nine hours of consistent sleep and good sleep. And at the same time going to bed and the same time waking up seven days a week, because most people don't realize there's actually seven days a week. It's just not, you know, Monday through Friday. And then let me catch up on the sleep on the weekend, which, you know, doesn't really help out. But I think that recognition and, you know, your, your self-doubts, your fears, everything like that, and just tackling the sleep first. If you can do one thing in this book, I mean, that's the chapter I prefer you read. It's, it's written to you go cover to cover, but at the same time, you just want to read the sleep section. That's the one that's probably going to benefit people the most. And then you can get on into the nuances of every other mm-hmm. lifestyle factor. I agree. It makes everything else happen a lot more optimally. Your exercise, your nutrition, you're going to be less hangry. You're going to have less mm-hmm. cravings. You're going to feel more energetic. You're going to be you're, you're to, to work out. All the things really are hinging on optimizing your sleep. And you give us your top sleep hygiene tips that you've seen work with clients Obviously, they can read the book to get the inner workings of it all. But what are some of the top, like what should people be doing to get a great night's sleep? 
yeah, first let's not look at what supplement can I take? You know what I mean? Because those are always like the ace in your sleeve. And yes, at some point you need that. And there's some things we can point to where people should probably be taking like multivitamin, fish oil, stuff like that, right? But people need to look at you know their day and what are you doing to wake up that sets up your night? That's a big thing right there. So when you get up in the morning, a lot of people like chugging caffeine or coffee or a pre-workout, whatever that is. There's something called the cortisol awakening response, which cortisol elevates. And cortisol elevation is not a bad thing acutely. Cortisol and these hormones are there for a reason and for a purpose, right? And biology and physiology doesn't lie. So we look at that cortisol awakening response, try to wait 60 to 90 minutes before having that caffeine because caffeine will kind of you know, blunt that adenosine receptors, which makes you sleepy, adenosine and melatonin. Uh, go out, you know, throughout the day, and they rise and they rise and peak in different levels. So melatonin later on at night will make you sleepier and help you fall asleep. But adenosine needs to go up too because having caffeine will block those adenosine receptors. So you almost want to clear that adenosine out of your body as soon as possible. So waiting sixty to ninety minutes before having caffeine is fine. Now you want to have the caffeine in the morning. You have a pre workout. You're going to do it ten minutes after waking up. Fine, but try to delay it a little bit. You know, get up fifteen minutes earlier so it's thirty minutes and delay that each day. That's going to help tremendously getting sunlight first thing in the morning. And I know if it's winter, when you're listening to this right now, that's going to be hard, but bright lights, you know, like selfie lights, something like that within the first hour, tremendous. If you can get view that light in the morning, five to 20 minutes, if it's cloudy, probably a little bit longer, that will set up your circadian rhythm and trigger your body to say, Hey, right now it's morning. Let's wake up. Let's have that cortisol pulse, right? And wake you up and get you going. You can get that workout early in the morning, get a walk in, get that locomotion going. So the morning sets up your night and then have a nighttime sleep routine, whether that's, you know, doing some meditation or breath work. And I think when I say meditation, people think, Oh, I need to like go on the top of a mountain and you know, cross my legs and do whatever. Like meditation, I call working in. You can just turn off your phone, turn off any noise and just go outside if possible, open a window so you're kind of getting the fresh air and just be with yourself. Let your mind wonder, you know, what, what's happening with your, with, your, with your breath. Just focus on that. Doing five minutes of nothing is actually meditation. That will calm you down, bring you more parasympathetic. So, you know, more rest, digest, recover, calm you down for night. And then at night, you know, turn off overhead lights, do things like that. Wear some blue light blocking glasses within a couple hours before bedtime. Do some, whether it's box breathing, four, seven, eight breathing, anything like that. So basically you want a shorter inhale to longer exhale. That exhale is a parasympathetic, right? So everybody's like, oh, take a deep, deep breath. Well, let's take a deep breath, but actually exhale longer, you know? So we need to change the way we're looking at that. And that'll set you up for, a nut, for the night. Sleeping in a cold room, also very good, 65 degrees, and can help you know, with some fat burning as well. So mm -hmm. I kind of laid it out right there. But those simple things, those are the minimum things that you can do for your sleep that will get you maximum results. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A few things to unpack there. The cortisol awakening response or the CAR, C-A-R, that is, it, it, I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's something that we measure for patients on labs that through urine saliva, when we're looking at that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and the amount of people that have dysregulated sleep and we track on, you know, wearables like whoop or, or something like that. And looking at their REM and their deep sleep, the amount of people that have poor REM and deep sleep, and they have really poor dysregulated cortisol awakening responses on their labs. It's astounding. And then they're going around their day feeling exhausted, wired, tired, anxious, but exhausted with insatiable cravings. They don't realize the things you just told us 
to improve your sleep hygiene really improves the deep, the REM and the car, the awakening response tremendously over time. And like you said, consistency, it's not going to be just like with the gym. You have to give it time to really start to regulate itself appropriately. Yeah. You know, and people don't really think about that. We always want to go to supplements or what we can do like a quick fix, but you know, like as you have more and more caffeine and I, I have no problem people having caffeine, especially if they're using it correctly, but as, as you have more and more, then you're blocking more and more adenosine receptors. So what mm-hmm. happens when that caffeine wears out, you know, like it's got you know, several hours of a half-life or quarter life, however you want to look at it. And then you've got that flush of adenosine and then you're tired. And then what do you do? You drink more, more coffee. And yes, maybe you fall asleep if you had coffee at two or 3 PM, but that coffee is still active hours later. So to your exact point, which is why you're such an expert, is because yes, you're falling asleep, but was that quality of sleep as good? I'd rather people get five hours of quality sleep than eight hours of crap interrupted sleep, right? If we can get four or five cycles of that 90 to 110 minute sleep cycles a night, that's amazing. But if you're getting those sight and you're waking up and you're going to the bathroom multiple times, then, then you're disrupted. So you're not getting slow wave sleep. You're not getting deep sleep. You're not getting REM sleep. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, I didn't say this at the top of the conversation. I'll say it right now. I was honored when you asked me to write the foreword of this book. So I really do appreciate it. And I just love what you're doing. I'm such a fan of what you've been doing for a long time now. So thanks for having me as a forward of the book so people can read the foreword by me when they read the book written by you. I truly appreciate it. You know, there was a very, very short list of people that I was thinking to write the forward. And, you know, I, I'm glad that you know, I thought of you and, you know, I didn't have to go to anybody else. So that was, that was appreciated. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a no. I'm like, okay, let me go, let me go down the list here. But yeah, thank you. It's it, people see your name and it resonates and it adds validity to the book. And my book, my buddy, Dr. Ian Smith, you know, has got a quote on the front of the book. He's number one New York Times bestseller too. Like he's written like 26 books. So to have the reputation of these doctors that are literally looking into things like he doesn't even practice medicine anymore. He just researches nutrition and, and everything else. So to have two, you know, of the biggest dogs in the game, you know, that have, that are doctors, it's, it's, it's very humbling, very humbling. So I appreciate that. Of course, man. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. So another thing you talk about in the book is mindset, which I know is so critical as well, because it's from that that why and that mindset and that maybe paradigm shift for some people, it really is in my experience with patients, the genesis for sustainable wellness, instead of it being sort of this quick fix thing that they try and then add to their pile of things that they've tried, but not stuck with mindset is really the, the secret ingredient, if you will, the essential ingredient for a, a consistent, sustainable wellness practice can you talk about that and what you have seen in your experience? Yeah, you're right. Mindset is huge, but physiology and psychology, they don't waver. They're connected. As you know, like our gut health, our brain health, and we even look at studies where people like they they say, hey, you're actually on steroids right now. And they believe they are, and they're not actually on steroids and they work out harder and they add more muscle tissue. Like, so the brain is a powerful tool. So even that mindset, like you can't calm down the mind with the mind, but everybody talks, everybody talks about know your why. I love that statement, but how do we get to that why? I mean, like I want, I want to get to, you know, lose a hundred pounds. Great. Okay. That's your why, but how do you get there? Okay. And then talk about that. So you need that dopamine response. So it's that reward pathway, but it's also a motivational pathway. I want to lose a hundred pounds so I can be healthy for my wife and kids. So I can be around, so I can be the active father. So what I'm going to do is think about my why, but understand the how 
every single day. When I put on my shoes, I go for the walk outside. Maybe that's the minimum. I'm walking 10 minutes a day, you know, or three times a day, which can reduce depressive symptoms by 40-ish percent just from walking, right? So minimum right there. So I've got that mindset as I'm walking. Maybe I listen to a podcast about this. Maybe I just think about this walking is going to get to get me to be much healthier. I'm healthier right now. So you need to have that thought. Just get that little dopamine drip. So right there, you're setting your mind and you're having that positive feedback loop. You're thinking, wow, all these behaviors are going to do this. This every step I take, maybe you walk backwards for your knee health like crazy. Maybe you're going to look like the crazy person you know, in the neighborhood, but that's all right. But all of these little things are, are really minimum effort. And that mindset is the first place to do it. And then having a better mindset will actually help you digest your food more. You know, will help you absorb more nutrients and will help you handle stress more. So you can lean into that because you know you can handle it and you can tackle it. And we can have that neuroplasticity just from literally just thinking about things and not just the why, but understand the how in each step it takes to get there and recognize that every single day. Absolutely. 100%. And you teach us how to do that in, in the book. Something that I, I wanted to go back on that I, I forgot to ask you about is that you mentioned 65 degrees for sleep. Many people uh, are going to, nay, some people are gonna be like, yes, yes, finally, I'm validated by science. And some people are like, man, my, like my, my, my partner likes it that cold, but I would be freezing. Yeah. I, 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 when I talk about the science around sleep and how like that 64, 67 degrees uh -huh. and you know, 65 is right in that sure. sweet spot there. The data is really clear that the human body lowering that, that core temperature really does support that parasympathetic and keeps you in that deeper sleep. So like, what are your thoughts on that for the people, for the person out there that's like, that's too cold for me. I can't do it. Yeah. So like if you're most people, the funny thing is like we, we don't have, you know, my buddy, Dr. Sinclair, you know, talks about hormesis and all sort of stuff, right? So we, we were in a 72 degree house. And then we go into a 72 degree car, even if we live in the winter. And then we go into a 72 degree gym or wherever we're at. Like our body's not stressed at all. Like even in the summer where, you know, air conditioning, all that sort of stuff. So what we want to do is bring down our, you know, our core temperature while we sleep, which will help us sleep much better. So if you're sleeping in 72 degrees and 65 just seems like a freezer to you, like walking into like that meat locker, fine. Bring it down to like 70, 71 and see like, okay, did I sleep better? You know, maybe put your feet, like no socks, maybe your feet outside of the blanket, which is that glabrous skin. So our feet are just as sensitive to, if you feel your palms right now, that's very sensitive. The bottom of the feet, same thing. So that'll help you help cool you down more. Maybe you take a warm shower or bath at night, which will heat up the skin, but trigger your body to cool down faster. Okay. So like we take these, once again, these are just minimum efforts. Like, oh, that doesn't seem like that much, but when we put it all together, wow, it starts adding up to this maximum result. So yeah, drop it down 72, maybe it's 71 for a few nights. See how you feel, have that thought cycle, write it down. Then you drop it down some more. Maybe your partner is sleeping better. Maybe you're wearing a whoop or some other trackable and, and you can see actually, are you getting better sleep? And then, wow, right there. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I felt like I was uncomfortable when I woke up, mm -hmm. I was a little cold, but let me look at my sleep. Wow. It's actually better. And then you find your sweet spot. You say 64 to 67. That's why I say tell people like 65, right? So we look at that and that will also help brown and beige fat tissue, which is metabolically active, so which is what we want, which is around your clavicle and your upper neck, which babies have to keep them warm. And that increases your metabolic rate and helps burn white adipose fat tissue. So if sleep isn't going to take care of it, a lot of times what I do is I try to refer people to how they're going to look. And you know what? Sure, you're going to sleep better. Like, ah, I don't need to sleep better. But you're actually going to have more brown fat, which is going to make you sexier. And like, oh, okay, 
maybe I'll try that. <laughs> and make like five right there. Mindset. As we go back Absolutely. to that, you're 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 training them and you need to find their pain points and their linchpins. And you've got to do this in your practice all the time. So you need mm-hmm. to look and see what's going to motivate them, whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic motivation. And often it's extrinsic. I'm going to a high school reunion. I want to look better. All right, here's what you need to do. Sleep at 65 degrees. You're just going to look better naked. Oh, rock on. You know, like that might be it for them. You don't even need to tell them that it's, it's good for the you know, immune system and sleep and everything else. They just know, hey, I'm going to sleep like this. I'm going to look better. <laughs> and I, I, you're absolutely right. And my mind goes to, okay, like I, I go to all the, the longevity, lowered inflammation levels, yeah. better autophagy levels, <laughs> lower disease, all this stuff. But you know, human, the human, human race is a bunch of vain mother effers where it's like, oh, you'll just look sexier naked. Oh, that'll get you to go to, to do what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> That's like, all you need. Like when people come to the gym, they start working out really to the count. You know, I want to live longer. I want to be more mobile. That's a <laughs> small fraction of percentage of people. So that's, that's why I, you know, I tell, I, I work with 10 trainers that I'm, you know, the boss of, if you will. And I'm like, Hey, here's the deal. You find their pain point. Yeah. And what are they in here for? So yeah, you can talk about like bone density and movement and mobility and insulin sensitivity and HbA1c and all these sort of markers, or you can tell them, Hey, lift this weight, this amount of reps, this movement, this is going to make your ass look better. It's going to make your posture look better. You're going to look sexier for your high school reunion. Boom. They're sold. You know, and all of a sudden they go to their doctor three months from now and they go to you and you look at the labs like, what have you been doing? They're not saying, oh, I've been doing all these exercises to help with my inflammation. They're like, oh, I just want to look sexy. Great. Rock on. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and that did it. So if you're listening right now, you, you find that or you find that maybe you've got a significant other that is struggling to get off the couch. And I wrote this book mainly for the person struggling to get off the couch to the starting line, not the person who's already looking for the finish line. And we have three different men- mentalities, minimum mentalities in there. Let's go, level up and max out. Your let's go is a person trying to get to the starting line. Like what's all the evidence say? So I break it down for them. Here's these simple things you can do at the end of each chapter. Then level up, you're kind of in the race already. Max out, that's your, that's your you know, like your biohackers. That's probably a lot of your patients, things like that. So there's something in there for everybody. But once again, I find that, pain point and you need to find your pain point, what's going to motivate you. And that will in turn just get you healthier without even really thinking about it. Yeah. Well said. And the book is brilliantly laid out as far as this choose your own adventure. Like you said, these different, it meets people where they're at and finding out their, whether their, their goals, like what motivates them, where do they want to go? And you kind of give the different tracks for people within the book. Super smart. Mm -hmm. The Let's, since we're talking about cold and hormesis, hormetic yeah. effects, something else that you talk about in the book is the science around cold therapy and people hearing about like cold plunges and mm-hmm. cold showers. Like, what's the science say around that? And what's the specific protocol that you recommend for that? Yeah. So, I mean, you can see, depending on what study you're looking at, you can look at a 300% increase in metabolic rate from doing like a cold plunge. And Dr. Susanna Soberg did this beautiful study. So like Scandinavian swimmers, I can't remember the exact title. I'm jacking it up a little bit, but basically they were doing these and and swimming is kind of the wrong word. They're not like going and swimming in the ice or like for hours, like Wim Hof is like hanging out doing that. They're getting in water that was like, I think it was 57 degrees Fahrenheit, but they looked at studies at 59 degrees Fahrenheit or less can actually have these metabolic responses. So about 11 minutes per week is going to help that inflammatory response. That's going to help your immune system. That's going to help the metabolic rate. That's going to also help your resiliency. And that 11-ish minutes, depending on kind of what you're looking at, you know, for the protocols and the studies, that right there doesn't have to be all at once. Like 11 minutes and 59 degrees is terrible. 
But can you think, oh, can I do 11 minutes cumulative throughout the entire week? Yeah, I can do that. I can do you know a few minutes one day, like maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're doing three minutes. And then maybe on a Saturday, you do two minutes. There you go. Like, look at that Sesame Street math. So right there, <laughs> that helps. People talk about cryotherapy, which is like negative, like 150 degrees, something like that. That becomes very expensive. Now, people need to realize with cryotherapy, that that's very good and that can help. That can help a little bit with some extra calorie burning because there is that metabolic response. But you don't want to do cryotherapy or an ice bath post some sort of like high intensity training or weight training because it shuts down that natural inflammatory response. We talk about inflammation all the time. And people think, oh, inflammation is bad. What happens when you're lifting weights? Your muscle cells get swollen. You look bigger. That's a good thing. So you don't want to hinder that hypoxic effect. So then you don't have like a, a cold, you know, ice bath or cryo within like a few hours of hypertrophy training or endurance training or some sort of intense exercise, walking, something, something like that. That's completely fine. A cold shower, that can actually help because you're not getting cold enough. You're not getting to 59 degrees or less to shut down that inflammatory response. Now, sauna or a steam room or red light therapy, man, like that afterwards can heat you up and you're already heated up. And that can deliver nutrients to your tissue and blood flow, as you know, and a lot of people know, that helps muscle tissue repair. So these little things, uh, you know, around 50 minutes per week of getting like hot, something like that has cardiovascular benefits. In that same study, they went from hot to cold, hot to cold. I like people doing contrast showers. That's one thing you can start with, right? So you do, you get in the shower, you can do warm, you can do your soap and all that sort of stuff. Don't go crazy hot. And you do about 20 seconds of cold, as cold as you can take it. And then turn it back to warm for about 10 seconds. And you do that for a few rounds, up to 10 rounds if you can. So cumulative right there, you've got about 200 seconds of cold. You know? So we, we knocked out you know, three-ish minutes, depending on what, you know, how many you're doing. So right there, that can that cover your co- protocol. And that's not as brutal as a lot of people can just do straight cold. So 20 seconds on, cold. 10 seconds, warm, not hot, and make sure you finish on cold so your body is forced to heat up. Now, I would say don't do this right at night though, because same reasoning why I want to take a hot shower, a hot bath, maybe Epsom salt or something like that at night, because your skin temperature is warm and your body is going to be forced to cool down faster. When it's cold, your body is going to heat up. It's going to try to heat up fast and that's going to wake you up. That's going to be a little more sympathetic response. So I prefer people do that you know, when it's earlier in the day, within a few hours, you know, before going to bed. Got it. So your, do you recommend people doing that every night, every, every day, consistently, every 24 hours or, or no? Well, yeah, you know, the body's adaptive. So I would say, you know, you can do that in cycles for two or three weeks at a time and then take a week or two off and do that. Or if you've got some sort of event coming up where you're two weeks out, a lot of times when I have movie stars and things that are prepping for a role, they need to lose a lot of body fat. The last couple of weeks, I used to call them 007 showers when I was doing my fitness competitions or when I, you know, my first book, I'm you know shirtless and ripped and whatever. And this one is like completely the opposite, but I would do that for a couple of weeks because my body will get used to it because it becomes resilient. And that's a good thing. Resili- resiliency adaptation is a good thing, but we want, we don't want to adapt too fast. And we don't want to keep that stimulus going for too long because then, then your body's going to get used to it. So I'd say two weeks on, two weeks off, or maybe you do a few days on, a few days off, and that's going to do the same thing. Same thing with like caffeine or coffee. Like maybe you do every other day, which mm-hmm. might sound crazy or people are five days on, two days off. You look, look at research, like that helps with athletic performance and you know depression and anxiety. There's a bunch of different you know, things where you look at it and it's always some, some time on and some time off is what you know, most of this research is pointing to. 
Got it. It's interesting that and when you look at bioindividuality and, and how everybody's different, for some patients, it may be counterintuitive you know, to them and even maybe to some, you know, some people within the space, the, that alternating cold, hot, cold, hot works for some of my patients that are at at night specifically where you would think, okay, maybe not do that right before bed, but they're the people that are more anxious. They have really like a hypervigilant nervous system. Mm -hmm. I find that that contrast almost like shifts their nervous system in a way where they, it modulates in a positive way. And I have them typically end on cold, but it doesn't work for everybody. So I think that these implementing what the studies are showing and experimenting with not just doing them, but the time of day that you're doing them, depending on, again, your goals is, is a really key point. Well, and, and you said it right there, individuality. Yeah. So averages are averages. So somebody's got to be on the high end and somebody's got to be on the low end. So the same thing when you're looking at this sort of stuff. Yeah, for most people, you know, I probably wouldn't recommend doing like a cold or something at night. But for some people, it's like a lot of times people who like get a crazy workout in right before bed, most people that's going to jack them up and it's going to wake them up. Some people, it will put them to sleep. So why not? If, if that's you, then go ahead and do that. And like, we're looking at all these nuances, like morning workout, midday workout, whatever. Like when can you get it in and then see when you feel the best? Like we can mm-hmm. look at like testosterone spikes and, you know, which we're, we want to look at free testosterone versus overall. And, and then you want to look at like nutrient absorption and are you going to be probably a little bit better? towards the afternoon, you've got more energy. Most people probably, but most people can't work out, you know, lunch or early afternoon. You either got to get it in the morning before work or after work, or, you know, when your kids are running around or going to school, something like that. So the individuality and context is always king. So you need to look at this. Like you see one study and there's a thousand other studies showing something else. Like, oh, I found this one study. That's my confirmation bias. Okay. Like maybe it'll move the needles kind of a little bit one way. Like, oh, this is interesting. You know, what were the methodologies? Like, you know, was it just like anecdotal? You know, how did, how did they collect all this evidence? So that's what I try to look at. And then you, with my clients, I've been doing this for uh, 17-ish years now. And a lot of these same things work. And some things that I do, like they may not be backed up by data right now, but my own like anecdotal data right there, that, that's what I need. That's my studies. Mm-hmm. So if it works for them and like carbohydrate utilization and fat and all that sort of stuff, like, some people feel better having low carbs, which could be mental. Great. Fine. Go low carbs. Like get the protein up a little bit. Maybe go high fat and switch it up. Maybe you want to do higher carbohydrates. Maybe you want to carb cycle. You know, maybe you want to be a ketotarian, right? Feel like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, not my first time uh, <laughs> on a podcast or TV show. But those sort of things and individuality really matters. But I think, you know, people look at nuances way too much. And they try to like focus on what diet or what exercise routine they're doing or the perfect type of exercise. Are you in the gym? Are you working out for the first time? Great. Let's just focus on that and not like look at the exact timing of your meals and, you know, try to do that. Or like if you're 200 pounds overweight, what matters most right now is you losing weight. So am I going to worry that much that you have like a soda or two a day if that's going to prevent you from having the pie? No, like I'd rather you lose the weight first. And all the, the inflammation markers and the weight is going to go down. And then we get to that point where we need to start like, okay, I hit all these things. You did these minimum habits. Now let's cut out that soda. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like you just definitely need to look at that because hyperphagia is a huge thing where people like they're so rigid on a diet for so long. And then all of a sudden they just go binge crazy and they eat everything in sight and they can't stop eating even though they're full because they, you know, quote unquote, restricted 
mm-hmm. a certain type of food group for so long. And that happens a lot of times at fitness competitions or people getting ready for movies or whatever. And, you know, and then they just kind of, they wreck themselves for several days because it's, it takes a while for them to get back from that hyperphasic point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the subtitle of the book just really underlines what you're what you're talking about and the ethos of the book. The least you can do to be a stronger, healthier, happier you. Like I think your advice is very helpful for people that are like I, they feel overwhelmed. They feel sort of where do I even begin? And they feel like they have to be this aficionada, this sort of biohacker, professional, like body bodybuilder, biohacker. They don't have to. And you really show the path to really move the needle. Which when you're start getting your head above that proverbial water and you start seeing your results come to fruition, people tend to want to keep doing the things that are in are congruent with them achieving their goals. Something that I wanted to talk about to unpack that you mentioned about free testosterone and not running total testosterone. I know the listeners ears ringing then and like, what does he mean about that? Like when you're looking at hormones, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Similar to the cortisol awakening response, like what are your thoughts on that? And should people be running and look running labs and looking at these biomarkers? You know, I think if you have the means to run labs, because unfortunately most of these labs are not covered by insurance. Sometimes you can find a doctor, whether it's, you know, functional medicine. I had a doctor one time call himself a medical engineer. That's kind of a good term. <laughs> uh, you know, so like if you have the means to do so, and if a creative doctor sometimes can run these labs and get a little bit covered by insurance, um, let's just say that. But I think labs are amazing for most individuals. I think sometimes having too much information can freak people out. Totally. Because once again, like I had these labs, like 50 pages and they're like, you know, red, yellow, green levels. And they're looking at all this sort of stuff, but are, okay, you know, maybe my, so like for me, my white blood cell count was actually lower than where it should be. So a typical doctor often is going to look at that white blood cell count, like, oh my God, you're going to, you're going to get more sick and you're going to have immune issues and whatever. But let's look at the person. I rarely get sick. I recover fast. I put on muscle tissue faster. So what are these other markers, these inflammatory responses? You know, you know, what is my ratio of cholesterol? What does that look like? Where is my testosterone level at? My overall testosterone was actually, you know, pretty low for my age group. But my free testosterone, which is the available and usable testosterone, is actually relatively high. I put on muscle quite easily, minus my chest, you know, it's the genetic factor. It's like a bird chest. I'm 6'3". I'm built like a silverback gorilla. So the chest doesn't grow, (laughs) but you know, the free testosterone is what matters most. So I think, you know, like if the labs are going to help you, you have the means and you have somebody that can actually look at you and back to the individuality like yourself. And they can look at this. What are your lifestyle factors first? Okay. Then maybe let's put you on some, some peptides, some additional supplements, some herbs, whatever those things and go that route. Maybe you do some sort of, you know, uh, protocol where you're doing like a, um, elimination diet. You know, like, yeah, I've got the like belly bounce back diet in here where we just get rid of, and, and you do similar things, right? You just get rid of these inflammatory foods and kind of reintroduce them. So did you do that first? Now, where are your hormone levels at? You know, do all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, if the too much information is going to drive you crazy, then don't get the labs. Focus on how you feel and how you look first. Skin health. Like, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you lost a bunch of weight, but your skin doesn't look healthy. Like, there can be an in- indicating factor of like, how you're feeling and what's happening internally as well. Labs, I get my labs done probably every three to six months to see where they're at. Because like I'm, you know, I want to call myself a bio, I was doing this before biohacking was really a popular word. Mm-hmm. But I just say that's like an optimization, like wellness. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're doing all these things, like I'm stepping on stage next to somebody during a bodybuilding competition, you know, it's going to matter. These tiny little nuances. And did I take these essential amino acids? Did I take this and that and whatever? And what I do for like to, to my water cut, my sodium load and depletion. 
But for 99.9% of people, that stuff is not going to matter. Mm-hmm. So take care, of the, take care of the little things and the little things will take care of the big things. And then from there, then lab work and everything, if you can, if you have the means. But I love it when people get labs, but I also get people texting me like, oh, here's what I have. Well, I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. I can tell you like what I know from experience, but like, I'm going to send them to somebody like yourself or you know, some of these other people that I know locally in Chicago, go into their office. Trust an expert. I think now too often people find multiple coaches for different things. You have one doctor, like Dr. Cole, he's your doctor. Great. Let him be your doctor because another one's going to say something different and another one's going to say something different. And then you're going to really get confused at what your protocol is supposed to be because you're going to have three different opinions, even if you all think relatively the same, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's going to muddy the water too much. Yeah, I agree. It, sometimes it is like that saying of too many cooks in the kitchen and it, it can, yeah. you're right, it stressed somebody out. And I completely agree with you on labs, like labs without context, labs without like dissemination and like how, what do you actually do with this data is can add to that sort of stress cycle, anxiety. Like, what does this all mean? What do I do with this? Like, that's where we come in typically with functional medicine. I just liked your point of like, even what you're saying of like total testosterone. Okay, that's not the full picture. And looking at these free fraction hormones, like free testosterone or free T3 for thyroid hormones or free T4 or free fraction progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, cortisol levels are important because looking at one snapshot in time via blood at 8 a.m. in the morning, whenever you got the lab, that's a total. It's not even looking at the free amount of it. It is an incomplete perspective on the nuance of hormones, which where, what do you look like the 20 other 23 hours and 59 minutes when you're not tracking that data. And then looking at the bioavailable form of these hormones is, is important. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, as you're talking about this and just knowing you, you're very science driven, you know, the latest exciting science in nutrition and wellness and fitness. And you put that in the book too. And I'm, as we're talking, I'm thinking we're, we're around, you and I are around the same age and and you mentioned being- We both look amazing, by the way. <laughs> we, we can't say that about ourselves, man. <laughs> but, you know, hey, look, let's be confident. But the, uh, you mentioned being a biohacker before biohackers was the thing. That's exactly right. We were the two nerds in the 90s and like as teenagers interested in this stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah so it's, now, now we do this for a living. It's pretty, pretty cool. It's, it's pretty neat. You know, I'm very fortunate. And then, you know, I think accepting that and, you know, I tell them people, I'll see them now. It's like, wow, you look like you feel amazing. Can you think about that? How powerful that statement is right now? As opposed to like, Hey, you look great. You look like you feel amazing. You know what I do? I've been working hard. I've been seeing Dr. Cole. I read this amazing new book, the minimal method, shameless plug, you know, like all that sort of stuff, like right there, that matters tremendously. Mm-hmm. I get to work out. I get to eat well. I get to have the means to have this lab work or, you know, whatever that may be. And, and that right there can truly change just that your entire life in perspective. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier in the conversation about the right, bringing in caffeine in the right way. Obviously there's a lot of bioindividuality when it comes to caffeine. And when you're talking about the detoxification, like the CYP1A2 gene and gut health and cortisol levels and anxiety and these type of factors, right? Acid reflux, that coffee and caffeinated beverages like that. There's a lot of bioindividuality, but what is your, like how much coffee, people want to know how much coffee can, can I get away with? They want to know about that. That's like a very common question. What's, what's your take on that? I have exact numbers for you. So uh, one to three milligrams 
per kilogram of body weight generally in a sitting. Okay, sir, for me, I'm 210 pounds. You know, let's just, let's just do the math here. So I'm like 90-ish kilograms. So for me, my high end, I'm a little bit more adapted. So if I did three milligrams, so it'd be about 270 milligrams of caffeine you know, per dose where I can handle it without necessarily being completely anxious and all that sort of stuff. So that, as far as what a lot of the research is saying, is going to be like a good amount where you can handle, you're not going to have massive headaches from, you know, the deprivation of having caffeine in the mornings. Like you wake up at 8 a.m. Like I got a headache now because I normally drink co- coffee at 8.02. You know, like that's where, like that, that, that's when you might have a, a little bit, bit of an issue. So maybe I do that. Like my pre-workout has around 300 milligrams of caffeine, but I, I try to take caffeine-free weekends when I'm doing some sort of, you know, detox cleanse, if you will. I will abstain from caffeine, or maybe I'll just have green tea, you know, which is gonna have a little bit in there. So I think that is really good for people and everybody. There's, you know, 2.2, you know, pounds per kilogram. So just. Do it that way. So divide your weight by 2.2. That'll get there. But one to three milligrams, generally speaking, is going to be okay. And multiply that. That'll give your caffeine amount. But you be careful. You go to some big coffee chain and these big, you know, venti or grande or whatever names they have to them could have a thousand milligrams of caffeine in one cup. You know, like the, the well, cup, I don't know what the cup, like a bit big, like water bottle type thing that people are having. So be careful with that. And then once again, just try to take some time off if you can. Because once again, you're having that consistently for weeks, months, years on end. I think 90 plus percent of adults have caffeine every single day. It's, it's kind of like a drug, you know? So mm-hmm. it becomes very addictive and people are hangry and, you know, yeah. uh, anxious and depressive and all sorts of stuff. There is some positive benefits to it. Like you, it, it can increase work capacity. It can help with cognition and focus and how are you using that correctly? So if you do, if you were aware of that, you know, CAR response, you know, in the morning, maybe you wait that 90 minutes, maybe all of a sudden now you use your body's natural, you know, cortisol pulse to wake you up and you only need one cup of coffee a day. So then you dropped your total caffeine load from 500 milligrams a day to maybe 250. Then right there, when you really need to focus, when you didn't get enough sleep and you need to kind of have that caffeine, you know, IV, then maybe you bump up a little bit because your body, you know, has kind of acclimated to less caffeine. Individuality and understanding these little mechanisms. So if you understand the mechanism and the why and then the how behind something, then you're more likely to get like, okay, I'm going to have this huge piece of pizza right now. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feel bloated and stuffed. I'm going to be on the toilet and probably crap my pants the next day. But I'm allowing myself to have it because I need this right now. Because if I don't have it, I'm going to have an entire pizza, you know, three days from now. I'm going to have a whole plate of brownies. Like understanding, you know, what your body is going to respond to that and how your physiology and your psychology mm-hmm. is going to respond to that as well. That'll give you, you know, the grace to have the piece of pizza mm-hmm. if you want. Accept it. If you're going to have it, own it. Like sit down and digest, not the standard American diet. Sad. I want to change it to sit and digest. You're looking at that pizza. You smell that pizza. Digestive enzymes start secreting. You chew that pizza slowly. Maybe you're not watching TV and you're not distracted because of chewing it slowly, having the digestion, you're actually going to eat about 10% less calories for being a little bit more mindful of your food and you're going to absorb it better. So I'd rather you absorb the candy bar and utilize those nutrients from that than to eat it very fast and, and not utilize whatever, you know, there's barely any, but you know what I mean? What other good things are in that candy bar? So enjoy it, digest it. So you're, you're not going to create as many, you know, gut issues, things from that, just from having some quote unquote bad 
food for you. Now, if you can have that kale salad, that whatever, and you can sit there, you can sit and digest, man, like you are going to feel so much better physically and mentally as well. Wonderful, wonderful tips. And you taught, you teach us in the book, these mindful eating tips, intuitive eating mm -hmm. tips, which is so important, right? To check in yep. with your body, what I call food peace. You're not like dogmatic about it. It really is just using food as a meditation, which is a powerful tool. And yep. I, on the caffeine thing, like I eat very clean and you know all that stuff. I have things dialed in. But one thing that I know that I do, and I'm very open about it with patients and on the podcast, is I probably have a little bit too much caffeine because I enjoy my tea. I primarily drink tea, which does have less caffeine, but not when you have so many cups of tea throughout <laughs> the day. It does yeah. add up. But I don't have a problem. I can quit any time. <laughs> I, I do have a problem, but it's okay. Well, but right there, you, you've got that positive reinforcement response. You know, the caffeine is going to make you feel good. So of course you're going to yeah. go to that because coffee by nature is bitter and it tastes like crap. If the first time people ever had coffee, they're like, ah, oh, this is gross. But then they realize, oh, this makes me feel good. And all of a sudden that bitterness becomes that satiation and it feels good and it's more palatable to you because you know what's going to happen to your body and your mind from having it. You know, mm -hmm. that's why people love cocaine. <laughs> not saying I have that's that's not a good thing. Don't have cocaine. You know, we're, we're that's that's a no no. But like that same thing. You know how it's gonna be. Yeah, of course. This I, I take things all sorts. If of you've learned, if you've learned nothing else, <laughs> today's conversation, cocaine's a no no. People. Yeah, don't don't do blow. But yeah, yeah right. You're, you're reinforcing that behavior. So is it a reinforcive or is it aversive? You know what I mean? If if you drank coffee and you felt like crap. And you did, didn't make you feel good mentally and physically, like you're probably not going to go back to that. Like you, you've got that negative feedback loop. That's what's happening there. But since that caffeine is making you feel good, that coffee, and sometimes it's the habitual behavior, you know, sitting down, maybe for you, like, okay, maybe it's like chamomile at night. You sit down and, you know, I know one of your books, you talk like you list all your teas and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. It was ketotarian. So yeah. like you, you sit down and like that chamomile tea. And if that's your... <sighs> What happened there? You just unloaded stress just from the behavior and sitting down before we even drank that tea, just to have that ritual before bed, back to the whole sleep thing. If that tea is your thing, fine, have that tea. I even give people you know, a little bit of grace in the book to like every now and then have a glass of wine if they want. If you're so stressed throughout the day and you need something just to help you unwind, like we could look at all sorts of negative research around alcohol, but if that one glass and not the whole bottle gets you just to sit and relax and be with yourself and be with your family and let go of some of those stressors, then by all means, have it. I mean, it's the same thing with having that candy bar, or that pizza. You know, why are you doing it? Is it going to make you feel better right now? Or is it going to make you feel worse? If it's going to make you feel worse, you're going to beat yourself up about it and look at all this research and my brain is going to shrink and all this sort of stuff. Then no, it's probably not good for you. Mm -hmm. But that little sip of wine, that half a glass, you know, instead of the, the four glasses that you normally have and just help you appreciate the day a little bit more, appreciate what you have then go ahead and have it. That's your minimum. Well said. And, and my friend, you, you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. At the end of the episodes, we go into your art of being well. This is Joey Thurman's Art of Being Well. First question is... What is the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat? It's taste disgusting, <laughs> but you still have it because of the science behind it, the nutrition uh, science behind it. Oh, anything like mushrooms. You know, I just can't like adaptogenic and lion's mane, like the powders. I'll try to do that. Like if I get in a pill form and I, and I know like the, it's going to help me, it's going to help the cognition and all that sort of, man, I just like, oh, I'll do it. You know, even if it's in a shake, just not a fan, <laughs> not a fan. No, I, the same way I... 
like I'm fine with the powders. I'm actually really fine with the powders because they don't really taste like mushrooms. But eating mushrooms, I know they're good for me. They're freaking mm-hmm. disgusting. I just can't get yeah. in. But some people love mushrooms. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> where you came from because uh, they're yeah. disgusting. <sighs> they it's smell like old chewing gum. Yeah. It's like it's, it's just weird. That doesn't taste good. That, and that same note, most of these greens powders that don't have much of sugar added to it, those are nasty too. But when I'm out of town or something, you know, I'll bring some packets of something and I'll put it in water and drink it because I know I'm not getting, you know, enough of my micronutrients in there, which helps me feel better. So I'll just chug some nasty greens powder and go do like a wheatgrass shot or something like, oh, this is, this is not good. It tastes like, (laughs) I I don't know, like dirt and like the inside of a toilet bowl. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, and specifically with mushrooms, it's the cooked just grosses me out. Like when you're smelling that with mint, no, it's just, not for me, but it's good for you. I, I like your answer there. What What is your dream vacation, ideally? Oh, man. So my wife is from Greece and I grew up playing hockey all the way through college. Yes, these teeth are real. Um, so <laughs> we went to Greece. I, I, you know, She's like, oh, what, where have you gone out of the country? I'm like, I don't know, like Mexico when I was in college and just got wasted, you know, and like borderline of Canada. So I just played hockey all the time. So I never traveled. So I went to Greece, went to Santorini. It's like just the most magical place on earth. I would go back there, but I've got a buddy in Australia. I would love to go to Australia. I've never either. I've never been to Hawaii as well. So Greece is where I've been. So I know that's amazing. I love doing that. The people are just brilliant. The food is so clean. I have a pizza there. I feel good. I feel good. You know, I have a pizza here. I don't feel good. We don't even need to get into that. But Greece, number one that I've been to. And then I'd say Australia, Hawaii for sure. Love it. What are two supplements that have been the biggest game changers or needle movers, like you've noticed a, a difference taking them. Yeah. So I think creatine, like I think there's 14, 1500 studies of creatine now. I think pretty much if I'm going to like a, as a whole say everybody should be taking something, I should say creatine. Cognition, you know, uh, anxiety, work capacity. Creatine is like so studied and so, you know, beneficial right now. And I think we're still scratching the surface on it right there. So I think creatine is number one. And I think some sort of magnesium or like a ZMA at night as well, because that magnesium, you know, I used to get like night cramps and not feel great. And I think that magnesium is also like that helps with kind of cognition and anxiety. That really helps me too. Uh, generally I do a magnesium citrate, but yeah, mm-hmm. magnesium, I've, I've, I've taken like this, there's like seven different forms of magnesium before. That's very helpful too. Great. Yeah. I've never had anybody say creatine, but I'm glad you, you're bringing up all these really interesting things because it, p- most people don't realize that creatine, they think just like bodybuilder and like mu- mm-hmm. muscle mass, but it's so much more than that. And it actually plays a major role in methylation. And people are mm-hmm. maybe that listen to the podcast are a little bit more aware of methylation and how it's needed for detox pathways and hormone health and brain health and mood and energy and all that stuff, mitochondrial health too. And they think maybe folate or B12's implication in methylation. Well, creatine also plays a significant role in that. So you mentioned brain function and you know energy levels. I, I've noticed such a difference when I started supplementing with creatine too. Any specific like dose you like for creatine? Yeah. Any like brand that you like? Yeah, I mean the, the brands I find creatine is you know generally speaking like incredibly cheap. Yeah, it's I mean, plain. You know, it's it is really inexpensive. Yeah, like uh, I mean, you know, generally like supplements like Life Extension. I'm not paid by them any means. I, I like Life. Ex- I don't know if they make creatine. I can't remember what it is, but Optimum Nutrition, all this sort of stuff. They're all pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. But I'd say five to ten grams a day, upwards to about twenty. 
you know, depending on if you're doing like a loading phase, something like that, but split those up and it don't, don't get into nuances like before workout, after workout, because it's in your system for about 28 days. Once you kind of load the cell and you're right, it helps with mitochondrial biogenesis. And there's so much research going into that now. So five to 10 grams a day for most individuals is going to be enough. If you're an athlete, maybe you can take upwards to 20 and people are like, Oh, maybe it'll bloat you, whatever. Well, it's inflammatory to the cell, which is a good thing. <laughs> like, that's what you want. You know, so that's why I tell people about sodium as well. Like if you're not having the standard American diet, you're not having 5,000 milligrams of sodium from, you know, processed foods and these packaged meals, like, yeah, do a little sodium load before your workout. Or we're losing 900 milligrams of sodium in an hour of sweat. So we need to replace those electrolytes. So I guess that'd be kind of number three if I'm adding, if I'm counting electrolytes as a supplement, mm -hmm. if you will. Oh, you're, you're speaking my language. It is such a common, like fundamental thing. I see people that maybe have cravings or they're getting headaches or fatigue, brain fog, electrolytes, like sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, really important things. And these are just super simple and generally speaking, very inexpensive too yep. for people to, to have. And I like the fact that you said, because I can get kind of like, even though I know the half-life and the research around it, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm having creatine at a specific time of day. I can get kind of maniacal about it, but it really doesn't matter, right? I mean, it doesn't, if I'm going to work out in X amount of hours, I could really could take it anytime, just be consistent with it. Yeah. It's going to be loaded in your system. It's going to be ready to go. Like, you know, the first time, first day you take it, maybe you get nuances there. You know, it's kind of like collagen protein, best right 20, 30 minutes before workout. So it's in your bloodstream. So it helps the tissue repair there. But yeah, when you, if you're taking it for weeks on end, it does, it's not really going to matter before or after workout, whether you're drinking it, peri workout, like in your, you know, in your shake or, you know, mm -hmm pre-workout drink. doesn't matter too much, but yeah, really, really beneficial and definitely, and you can take it in tablets too and pills and a lot of these kind of pre-workouts and stuff that are relatively, most, there's some that are a bunch of crap, but you know, they'll have beta alanine and stuff in it where it's got creatine. So you don't even have to worry about it there. Mm -hmm. But if you want to save, I mean, they're really cheap. So if you, if you want like a good pre-workout stack, you can buy a creatine in a powder or pill. You can buy some beta alanine or beta alanine, however you want to pronounce it. Right. And then you can, from, from there, like you can have like even caffeine powder pills and that's your pre-workout stack right there. And you didn't pay $45 for it. You probably paid 20 bucks and then it'll last you months on end. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of theanine too, for some jitters too. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> listen, listen off more stuff, but our stack is getting <laughs> more stacked. Yeah, we're, we're stacking it up. Yeah. Okay. Do, what are your thoughts on essential amino acids, maybe branch chain amino acids? What are your thoughts on those? I prefer essential amino acids. I mean, like they are essential, right? The branch chains, you're missing those. So I, I think essentials are good. And, you know, I think people need to be aware of that leucine threshold too, if you're being aware of your net protein balance too. Like you can get, you can get leucine and, you know, powder form too, which a lot of people don't realize. You get two to three grams a day of that, you'd be fine. Or per to get the protein synthesis response out of that. So essential amino acids, I, I don't think they're as necessary, like if you're getting a compilation, a compilation of foods and you're, you're getting high quality protein, yeah. depending on what your diet protocol is, if you're doing maybe a fasted workout in the morning, I think essentials maybe make more sense mm -hmm. there where you're doing that. But if you had, you know, if you, if you're a breakfast eater, you had nine, at nine or 10 o'clock breakfast and you're working out at noon, those amino acids from that meal and that, that protein response is still active for several hours. So you don't even necessarily have to have a post-workout 1500 calorie, you know, smoothie from, you know, some place that rhymes with smorns theory for $15, right? So like <laughs> you don't need to do that because what is going to matter most is your nutrition throughout the day and your protein numbers throughout the day. 
And if you're looking at like digestion and stuff, maybe you want to break it apart. If you're an athlete, then that's completely different. But like, let, let's look at this. You know, you don't, you don't see football players. Like once they're done with the game, they're not on the side, like chugging a big smoothie because they're worried they're going to go catabolic. That anabolic window is, is more like, you know, as Dr. Brad Schoenfeld says, and my buddy, Alan Aragon, like it's, it's more like a barn door. 90 minutes, 120 minutes. We had a meal an hour beforehand. You're still good to go, man. You're good. Just hit your numbers throughout the day. Great tips. What's your favorite restaurant in the world? And when you're there, what do you order? Oh my God. So there's this place in Corfu, Greece. I can't remember the name of it, but it was literally this like, you know, most restaurants are kind of like holes in the wall. You know, like I love that because like it's some yaya in the back or papu, you know, or, you know, if you're yeah, animal meter, eight. Animal, animal eater, animal meter. I put them together. You know, <laughs> vegans don't kill me, but like, you know, they probably just like killed that animal right then. It's completely fresh. And same thing with, with the vegetables and everything. They literally picked it from their garden, the tomatoes. I'm not a big tomato fan, but eating it in Greece or Europe is so fresh. But there was this restaurant in Corfu where they cooked a lamb, and I'm not a lamb guy by any means, underground for hours. Like they covered it with dirt and stuff. It was like six or eight hours and they put feta on it and patatas to say the potatoes in Greek and this fresh salad on the side. Oh my God, it was absolutely amazing. Probably one of my favorite places. I can't even think of the name. And there was a place in Mykonos too that it was like an hour and a half wait this guy spoke like seven or eight languages and you pulled up or you, you walked up or if we had a four-wheeler and the guy's like, okay, you're after this couple and this couple and this couple. And we walked up speaking, well, my wife spoke Greek. Somebody walk up English. He'd speak English to them. Somebody speak Italian. Oh, you're after the guy in the flannel shirt. I'm like, how do you remember that? Didn't write anything down. There was no electricity. They cooked, cooked everything just on like a, I don't know if it was a wood grill or something. And I think the only thing they had was a refrigerator to keep the food fresh. But God, it was amazing. It's amazing. Um, other than that, I am a fan of of like a, a Chipotle or a burrito or something, man. Like, like, like <laughs> I love it. It's I, like a random hole in the wall in Mykonos or Chipotle. And they, and they give me a Chipotle because I, you know, order so much food. I eat four thousand calories a day to maintain my weight. Wow! Yeah, I get like a twenty five dollar burrito. Oh my gosh! So what what do you get at Chipotle? What's your Chipotle order? Yeah. So like I've, I've gone vegan, I've gone carnivore, I've gone keto. Just to kind of test it out on myself when I was doing my own podcast. And the thing I'll get is generally a bowl. And often I'll get white rice and be like, oh my God, white rice. Well, white rice digests easily. That's why, you know, you, you know, people were bodybuilding and stuff and post-workout. I'll get like a couple of big things of white rice. I'll get the pinto beans and black beans. I'll get two or three scoops of chicken and a scoop generally of steak. Then I'll do a little bit of the hot sauce, some guacamole. Every now and then I'll throw some cheese on there. I, if I do dairy, it's generally like an aged cheddar or something like that or a Greek yogurt because just try to stay away from too much lactose. But yeah, that's it. And it's just a massive mound. And they look at me like, oh, you want four scoops of chicken? You know that's extra? Yeah, dude, I, I know that's extra. Thanks for that. But, <laughs> I'm getting um, my 4K, man. <laughs> <laughs> I need my 4,000 calories. That's it's like 1,500 to 2,000 there depending on you know, how they're measuring it. I kind of eyeball see like, ah, that's about four ounces of chicken. And then I'll type it in uh, if I'm tracking my, you know, calories and macros, and then I'll kind of put it in there and I'll, I'll sort of gauge where I'm at. Got it. And, and just to give people a caveat here, you work out for a living too. So you're working out a lot and you're yes. trying to eat this amount of calories. I would not advise people to get to 4K just because Joey Thurman gets to 4K. Bio-individuality, people. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've done five day water fasts before, you know, I've, I, I'll, I do fasting almost every single day and yeah, like I, I will check that sort of stuff out. I know that's, that's a lot, but I've also played with things where I've had 5,000 calories several days in a row. And then for two or three days I'd had 1000 calories. So 
balanced throughout the week, I ate my equivalency of around 28,000 calories just to play with it. It was, yeah. it was really interesting. I love it. And, and since we're talking about Chipotle orders, I get a bowl as well. I get white rice as well. People are going to be shocked. But when I get there, <laughs> I'm typically getting the white rice. Same thing. When we reintroduce grains for patients, white rice is one of the first things we reintroduce because it is so easy relatively to be digested. And it's one of the least immunoreactive forms of grains for most people. I get, I love their new guajillo steak. If you've not oh, tried that, yeah, it's I had really that, good. Yep. It's like lime, cilantro, it's really good. And I'll get the guac, I get the lettuce. I don't get beans. Yeah, guac, lettuce. And then I maybe get, I get the pico de gallo as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's my, if people wonder, <laughs> want to know my Chipotle order and Joey's th- Chipotle. Yeah. This is the episode that it was revealed. It, this podcast is not sponsored by Chipotle, <laughs> it's but I will, take, not. I, will, I, will, I will take free gift cards. <laughs> but my friend, Melissa Urban, she has a Whole30 bowl. Check that out. They, you, yeah. get, you can get a keto bowl. There's a lot of, I think they're doing good things where either you have better for you options for people that yep. want to focus on more, more whole foods and not, you know, you know, inflammatory things. What is the weirdest thing you've done for wellness that you're willing to admit on a podcast? Oh man. So when I was doing fitness competitions, this is before they called them like physique and whatever. So I'm six, three and most of my competitors like I was against were like, you know, five, eight and shorter. So, but anyway, so I, I did a like sodium water load and, and depletion of carbohydrates and people, by the way, looking at bodybuilders and stuff, when they're on stage, they're literally like one of the most unhealthiest people in the world. Cause they're on social stuff. They're completely deprived of, you know, lots of food and nutrients and sodium and they're beef jerky dry. But so I would lay in a bath, like a hot bath with several boxes of sodium bicarbonate or just baking soda, more sodium outside of the body will pull it from the skin. So I'm laying in that eating just like fish and asparagus because I couldn't have any carbs like, you know, the day before trying to make my skin more dry. And then I got out of the, and I'm literally eating it in the bath. You're not producing like really any saliva. like, because I'm not, once again, not having any water, eating that in the bath. And I get out and I order like a, for my carb up meal the night before, like a meat lover's pizza. But you can't, with that salt, that salt on there, you can't really chew it. So that was even really dry. And then I wrapped myself in saran wrap and hemorrhoid cream to pull what? more water, right? Because they're sweating at night. Yeah, the, hemorrhoid, right. the hemorrhoid cream and I do that. And then, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, go get a spray tan and look pretty good. Oh my gosh, that has to take the cake for the weirdest <laughs> wellness thing. <laughs> Don't do that. This, that, is, that is not appropriate. Do not do that. But that just gives you know a, a little look and peek into some of the things that people do that look like they're the healthiest. And is, it is not a good thing. I'm the first one to say that. That is not good for you to do. But I looked good on stage, but I felt like crap. And then I binged. I had that, you know, hyperphasic response. And I binged, like I went to like the Bellagio, we were in Vegas buffet and ate everything I wasn't eating. And all of that dairy and all those like processed carbs and everything to my system. I was on the toilet for like an hour afterwards. It was just, it was really bad. And I felt bad for two or three days. Yeah. Dang. I w- could see why. <laughs> I can see why. No, I mean, that's, hey, that's a word of caution, people. Like we always say, get healthy to lose weight, not try to lose weight to get healthy and don't do these crazy things. And the bodybuilding world, like you said, it's many of them, they may look a certain way, but they're not actually healthy. Wow. So I think the title of this podcast would be probably say no to blow and rubbing preparation H all over your body. And how to be built like a silverback gorilla and not- That's good. Yeah. Say no to blow and hemorrhoid cream. <laughs> not at Schmorn 
Schmear. <laughs> Sports theory. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend. This has been a great conversation. Where can people go to get the book? Where do they Where do they go? Oh, see, look at that. Uh, there's, there's your name on it. So the book is available everywhere. Amazon is always the easiest place. I type in the minimal method or my name. It's on you know hardcover, which honestly, I'm gonna be full disclosure. Hardcover helps me out the best for bestseller list. And it is my voice is on Audible, audio CD, and it is on Kindle. So go ahead and order that or all of them. I mean, it's at Target, Barnes Noble, all that sort of stuff too. Joey Thurman Fit on all social media channels, joeythurman.com if anybody goes to websites anymore. But there you go. Man, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for once again, your friendship of being a mentor and also lending your name and pen to my forward. Thank you, my friend. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.